Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I do want to take a moment to let you know of what's coming up in our community. This week, our speaker is Dr. Miriam Charter. She is a missions practitioner, speaker, and mobilizer based in Calgary, and she spent 10 years as an international worker in communist Europe, working among women in the underground church, but also spent several years in post-communist Russia doing research on post-communist societies. Dr. Charter's doctrinal studies were in theological education in the emerging church in a post communist society and so she has a lot to bring today and she also has a book out titled regeneration stories of resilient faith in communist romania also coming up we have in just a couple short weeks our block party here on site at the church on august 26th from 6 30 p.m through 8 30 p.m so come and join or if you'd like to serve you can get in touch with us through the website The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. It's a great delight for me to be with you here at Southview Church. I was thinking today, it's probably 30 plus years since I was speaking here, and I remember so clearly because it was at your, other lo- your first location. And I was thinking of the fact that back in those days, I was using very veiled language because I was working in a communist country, and the dictator in that country, Nikolai Ceausescu, had his network of undercover agents all over the world trying to discern, trying to figure out what groups like our church, the Alliance, were doing in what we then called countries behind the Iron Curtain. Southview Church prayed for me during those years, and someday I want to write a book dedicated to those stories um, because many of you and many, many people were praying I haven't written that book yet, but I have written a book, and I have it with me here today. Um, It's a book of stories, but it is far more than just stories. Um, It is a book I wrote for the next generation, those who would take the gospel to hard places. I tell young people that the easy places in our world have been reached. That is in no way to denigrate those who have gone, have made the sacrifice in the last 200-plus years um, to get the gospel to the farthest corners of the world. But the places that remain to be reached are hard places. And those are the places we in the Alliance are sending workers to. So my book is a, a book for the next generation, but it's really for people like you, people who love missions, people who love people who've never heard of Jesus. 
people who love their IWs, they, they love the next generation, they, they love to pray, and they love to learn, because I've grouped my stories, I'm, I love to tell stories, I've grouped them around seven issues that the next generation will need to grapple with as they go to these hard places. So the book will be on sale after the service, and if you're watching online, there is a website there that you can... So that's my... Um, the, the advertising is finished. During the last decades of the former Soviet Union, I was working in countries like Romania, Bulgaria, um, and in 1989, discernible holes were appearing in the Berlin Wall, signaling what was the end of the, the Cold War. And in early January 1990, I was there in East Germany. I rented a hammer, and I hacked a, a piece this big out of the Berlin Wall. I felt like I had to help bring it down. And I gave so many pieces of that away. This is all I have left of, the, of my, my piece of the Berlin Wall. Maybe you remember where you were on November 9, 1989, when those big cracks were appearing in the Berlin Wall. I tell the story of the Berlin Wall. I try to tell it every chance I get, believing that what happened in Berlin was God's response to the persevering prayer of God's people. And that's what I'm speaking about tonight. I, I love the fact that this series you've had this summer is about prayer. And I want to focus on persevering pr prayer as I share with you tonight. I will never forget where I was on November 9, 1989. I was crawling into the back seat of a pastor's car in a city on the western end of Romania. And the pastor was taking me under cover of darkness to a secret meeting, a Bible study, which some of my students would be leading. And we knew that if we were discovered, probably the hosts would be taken away to prison. And the driver who picked me up was so terrified at what he had to do, he, he didn't turn on any car lights. And we knew that the secret police were everywhere in, in unmarked cars, especially outside the homes of, of Christians, waiting with their listening devices to hear what was going on between the pastor and whoever he had in the car. I know that to be fact, because when I went back to do the research for the book, I was given access to many, many secret police files in the country of Romania. Stacks, I'm talking stacks of handwritten reports about the movements of pastors. And I, I tried to imagine what would have happened if they had, had, had access to computers and the internet. And So as I settled into the back seat of that car that night, the pastor turned to me and he whispered very softly. He said, Miriam, I just heard on Radio Free Europe that the Berlin Wall is coming down. I was so amazed that the, the message, such a message on Radio Free Europe hadn't been jammed by static as the communist government did in those days to hide what was actually happen, happening in the free West. I have to interject here that that's what's happening in the country of Russia tonight. That's what the Russian government is doing. They, they want to hide from Russian citizens 
the, the truth about what is happening in the Ukraine. My response to that pastor from the back seat that night, I whispered back, my brother, does that give you hope for Romania? He hung his head and I heard him say, we have no hope for this country. And indeed, to a degree, he was right. Because in no November 1989, there wasn't a lot of hope in the country of Romania. Nicolae Ceausescu, the president, had no interest in the warfare, the welfare of his family and his people. They lived in housing blocks where, even in the most bitter of winter, they could never turn the heat above 15 degrees. They had hot water maybe once a week. Food was rationed. They only sold bread when it was two days old because otherwise people ate too much. But the greatest constraints were the constraints on the church, who met largely in secret. There was a visible church, but people were hesitant to attend because they knew that the secret police were sitting among them in plain clothes, taking notes on who had been there. So the worst part of that regime was the fear and intimidation. When people spoke about the president, they always whispered it because they feared that their home was bugged and that someone would hear them talking about the, their president. Um, again, I, I jump back to the situation that my friends from Russia are managing to communicate to me using very veiled languages, language. And they are saying that in Russia today, there is a, at least a 15-year prison sentence if a pastor should ask for prayer for the, about the war in Ukraine. Of course, Putin wants it to be called a, a military in, intervention. So, not a lot has changed, in, I have to admit, tonight. My friends in Russia wrote me a few weeks ago to urge me to even exercise more caution about what I said in emails. Social media is blocked totally, so they don't know what's going on in the West. But they said to assume that everything is being read by the authorities. The regime of Nikolai Ceausescu was a, a regime of fear and intimidation. And we who worked there traveled around from the West under the watchful eye of the secret police. We dressed in old clothes like peasant women so that the secret police wouldn't see us coming off the train. And because, of course, then they would just follow us to where the believers were meeting that night. Back to the back seat of that car on November 9, 1989. When the pastor responded, he said, Miriam, we have no hope. Several years later, I was in Bucharest, in the capital city, several weeks later, and Nicolae Ceausescu was addressing the Communist Party Congress. He had been hearing what was happening in countries like East Germany and in Bulgaria. And he, there were pictures of him with his fist raised against heaven um, in a fist, and he was defying defying God in front of the thousands in that Congress hall. And the people rose on cue, rose to their feet and cheered the programmed roar of support as he screamed into the microphone, communism may come to an end in other countries, but communism will never, ever be finished in Romania. 
It will continue, he said, until oak trees bear pears. And during the night, the students in Bucharest managed to find pears, and they hung them from the oak trees all over the city. And Ceausescu was so angered by their courage, he ordered them to be murdered, and a revolution erupted. Two, days, two weeks later on Christmas Day, Ceausescu and his wife were executed by firing squad. And maybe you're saying to yourself, yeah, that was 30-some years ago. But here's the irony of the stories I've just told you, because it still is happening in our day, in some of those hard places that I referred to a little earlier. My friends in Russia tell me it's happening again. Uh, an indescribably evil regime has come to power, enslaving millions, feeding them lies. As I said, it, Putin has closed down social media, and Russians see the news about places like Bucha, where there was that terrible massacre, and across the, the screen comes that stamp of fake news. Russians were told when they reported on the massacre in Bucha that the whole thing had been staged. They tell the Russian people that Ukrainian actors, these were their words, found Russian army uniforms in some little store down the street and staged the massacre. I write to my Christian friends in Russia and I use the veiled language they used in the days of Ceausescu. Because any suggestion by a Russian believer that what is happening in Ukraine is a war will perhaps land them in prison. In my book, I tell the story of Ceausescu's demise in 1989, when a dictator was thrown down from his throne, if you like. He was executed, and we celebrated with believers. It was the answer to years and years of prayer. When I asked people, even from your platform, those 30-plus years ago, to pray, I don't think I ever thought about praying that God would topple the communist regime, literally bring Ceausescu to his knees. Over the past six months, I've anguished in prayer for the Ukraine. Many of you are praying, I know, and I don't know when I've ever prayed so fervently. As was mentioned, I did some very serious study at a university in, in the city of Donetsk, which is on the eastern end of the country, now under Russian rule. So I, I know a lot about life in the Ukraine. It's largely a Russian-speaking part. And I get reports from friends in the Ukraine every day. And I cry out the words of the prophet Habakkuk in anguish every day. I say, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you do not hear. I cry to you violence, and you do not save. Sometimes I feel like the heavens are brass. I feel like God isn't listening. My prayers seem pointless. And like many of my Ukrainian friends, I'm asking, Lord, where are you? I ask the question, Lord, what are you waiting for? Maybe some of you are asking the same thing as this Situation in the Ukraine continues on and on. And almost daily, believers from the Ukraine ask me, what do you think God is waiting for? And 
This weekend at the church, I am suggesting what I think God is waiting for. Perhaps my message will help you understand why prayers you have prayed, perhaps for years, seem to go unanswered. Often, as I'm watching the news in the evening and the, the little snippets from the Ukraine come up, I find myself up close to the television, calling out that question, Lord, what are you waiting for? In the book of Revelation, there is a description of our prayers, the prayers of the saints. Yes, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint, and your prayers are the prayers of a saint. Perhaps you've prayed for years for someone or a situation that is perplexing, disturbing, and it seems like God isn't listening, and your prayers seem to be going unanswered. As the war drags on in the Ukraine, my friends are asking, like Habakkuk, they're saying, what are you waiting for, Lord? And I want to suggest an answer to that question. And I've been sharing this with the believers in the Ukraine. In Revelation 5, verse 8, the scriptures describe the living creatures holding golden bowls full of incense. And it says, which are the prayers of the saints. And the prayers of the saints is what will fuel God's intervention on earth. Let me read that snippet from, from Revelation. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And before I ask you to affirm that this is the word of the Lord, let me comment on that one verse, then I want to read a, a longer passage. In this verse, we see that the, the collective prayers of God's people fill heavenly bowls with sweet aroma. Imagine that your prayers are collected in golden bowls. They aren't just vapors that disappear into thin air when you pray. When you pray, your prayers are collected in golden bowls in heaven by God's ministering servants. And then in Revelation 8, we discover that these bowls are being filled, are filling for a particular purpose. Read with me from Revelation chapter 8. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Do you get the picture? The prayers of God's people drop by drop by drop are filling golden bowls in heaven. And as the bowls filled fill, the, the prayers mingle with incense and rise to the throne of God, a pleasing aroma to God. Our prayers are a pleasing aroma to God. And in time, those prayers reach the brim, and the angel fills his censer with, with fire from the altar, the very power of God. And that power is released from heaven to change things on earth. 
God's power and provision is then poured out on the earth. When God's people pray earnestly, James 5.16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avail much. I'm not talking here about begging God. I'm not talking about an abundance of words. I'm talking about believing God. Effective, fervent prayer is always filled with faith. And for me, it's a, a wonderful picture. When you, when you pray, you are filling those golden bowls in heaven. And in God's perfect time, your prayers are ignited with God's power, the fire of God, and are cast back down to the earth to change earth's desperate situation. Even if you don't feel like anything is happening in the natural world, when you pray in the spirit realm, you are filling those bowls in heaven. And when they are full, when they have reached that tipping point at which God begins to change the situation on earth. Our believing brothers and sisters in the Ukraine have asked me that question. What is God waiting for? And what I say to my brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, I say to you today, do not grow weary. Because the truth is that we're guilty. We're guilty of not lingering long enough in prayer. I'm not talking, as I said, about meaningless words. I'm talking about prayers that are focused and faith-filled and filling those golden bowls in heaven, poised to change impossible situations. Our prayers accumulate, and, and when it, the time is right, the time is right for God to, to step in, or when enough prayer has accumulated to get the job done, God will release his power. It's like a reservoir Pailful after pailful is being filled with water. And that last pailful is enough to burst the gates and the water begins to flow over desperate land. God invites us to this process, friends. I'm so humbled to see that God invites believers to participate in the process of changing the world. We are not at the mercy of God's whims. Can you grasp the truth that a, a sovereign God invites you and me to pray into impossible situations, situations like the Ukraine today? It's the prayer of the saints that fuel the release of God's power in impossible situations. As I did the, release, the research for my book, I, I stumbled across this concept of persistent prayer over and over, because people had prayed for generations for the ending of evil regimes. Let me take you back in time to, to Leipzig in East Germany. In the early 80s in Leipzig, a very dignified pastor by the name of Christian Führer called people to pray on Monday nights. And at the start, sometimes fewer than a, a dozen gathered in St. Nicholas Church, a, a cold, cavernous cathedral in Leipzig. And they persevered, and the group grew week by week, and soon there were 8,000 people crammed into that church. We didn't hear about this in the West at the time. Before long, as many as 70,000 people were praying across East Germany. 
my women students in Romania didn't know what was happening in East Germany. But they were beginning to pray. They met, not knowing that other women were doing this in other cities in Romania. They met to pray every week that God would topple the, the Ceausescu regime. They told me about this after the revolution. It was too dangerous to tell me before then. People in East Germany were praying in Leipzig and they were asking, Lord, how long? What are you waiting for? And the years passed. And in 1989, on October 9th, so one, mo one month before the fall of the Berlin Wall, the state was preparing for a bloodbath. Things were really getting out of control in Leipzig. Tanks were in the street and gunmen were on the rooftops watching the, the frenzied crowd. It's a story too long to tell here, but believers tell how that the prayer movement in Leipzig, where many, many people came and prayed many, many prayers. It began as a handful and grew to 300,000. And journalists told us later that the, the Leipzig prayer rallies explain the demise of communism in Eastern Europe. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, describes prayer as a, a sub subversive activity that involves more, a more or less open act of defiance against any claim by a current regime. And that was what was happening in Leipzig. They were crying out to the Lord for regime change. And when the time was ripe, the power of God was unleashed against a regime that had enslaved half of Europe for decades. And I always think of what happened in Leipzig as the domino effect as it, it moved across Eastern Europe and, and Russia as regime after regime fell. How often we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is no religious catchphrase that we, that we mumble in when we repeat the Lord's Prayer. Do you really believe that you have a role in expanding the frontiers of, of God's kingdom on earth? Years ago, the, the former Dutch Prime Minister, Abraham Kuyper, wrote, there is not a square inch of the, in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, it is mine. Does that encourage you? Perhaps someone here has prayed and prayed and prayed for someone else, for some situation for something happening in their family or in their world. I pray this way for Ukraine. Our prayers light up the landing strip for the invading forces of heaven. And when we come together in great numbers, that's why I'm such a proponent, proponent of, of corporate prayer. When we come together in great numbers, the, the force of our prayers defies tanks and guns and militant governments. Yes, even the military advances of, of Russia with our prayers for God's liberation. I never shame my Ukrainian friends when they ask me, where is God in all of this? I hear them crying out, Lord, what are you waiting for? And I don't blame them for asking that question. But I think I know the answer. Could it be that God is waiting while the prayers of the saints collect in heaven. The power of the collective 
faith-filled prayers are setting the stage for God to do an astounding miracle in the Ukraine. And how humbling it is to think that God intends to involve us, his people. I don't understand how it works, but our repeated ceaseless prayers are an integral part of what he's waiting to do in the Ukraine or in your family or in your situation. How long will it take those bowls in heaven to be, to be filled to the brim? And finally, the fire from heaven, the very power of God, will be unleashed and will ignite those prayers as they are tipped onto the earth. Ukrainian, Ukraine is a hard place for a Christian to be these days. And people there are looking to Christians in the West for answers. Russia is also a hard place to be a Christian. The evangelical church in Russia is facing terrible persecution today. If you're interested in knowing more about that, come to my table. I have some good websites where you can do your own reading of trustworthy websites. A Russian pastor who asked prayer for Ukraine in his service recently was taken away to prison. And I want to try to help Christians here understand what is currently happening in the Ukraine, but also in Russia, where believers are daring to speak out against this egregious war. I remember my rage at the inhumane treatment of people in Romania by their president. I felt so hopeless. And that's how I feel about the situation in Ukraine at times, when I hear about the the crimes committed against the people. And I'm forced time and time again to ask God, what are you waiting for? When are you going to intervene? When will those prayer bowls in heaven be filled and God's time will have come and the power of God will be unleashed into that situation? I saw God move in an impossible situation and he brought deliverance to Romania in, 19, in the 1980s, especially 1989. And by faith, I am saying this weekend at the church, he will do it again as we pray and pray and pray. So don't grow weary in doing what is right. I've turned your thoughts to the Ukraine, and maybe you're thinking of a, a situation in your own life where you have prayed and prayed and prayed, and there seems to be no answer. In the moments when faith is small, and you've asked God what, what he's waiting for, I want to suggest he's waiting for us. God is waiting till those bowls in heaven are filled to the tipping point with the prayers of God's saints. Drop by drop, by drop. And it's so humbling that God invites prayerful believers into establishing his kingdom here on earth. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. And he knows when the right time will be, when our prayers have accumulated. He will release his power. And when we see what he is going to do, we're going to acknowledge that was his work on, in, in response to our prayers. As I close... I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Perhaps God has stirred your heart today to be more prayerful, to spend, it's a time issue, isn't it, friends? To spend more time in prayer. And maybe you're, worry, you're weary, and I, I want to 
urge you not to give up prayer. May I pray for you as I close that from this church would rise up a, one of those prayer movements on behalf of our messy world. Father, I pray that believers here at Southview will experience what it means to persevere in prayer, steadfast, unwavering prayer. As Paul exhorts us in Galatians 6, 9, may we not, may none of us grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I pray this for this church in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I would like to bless you as a congregation that you may become a prayerful, persevering, a church that perseveres in prayer for one another, for situations in our world. And the benediction I want to pray for you today is in the words of Romans 12, 12. My friends here at Southview Church, may you rejoice in hope. May you be patient in tribulation. May you be constant, persistent in prayer. And I bless you with stubborn perseverance, stubborn persistence in prayer for the establishing of God's kingdom on this earth. Amen.